0: Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast, where we talk about the people, trends, and issues shaping our community's future. We're here with Steve Harrison of WFAE and Tony Messia of the Charlotte Ledger Business Newsletter. I'm Eli Portillo of UNC Charlotte's Urban Institute, and together we put out the Transit Time Newsletter. Uh, We've been doing it for about a year now, so kind of wanted to look back. Reflect on that and then uh, look ahead and see what some of the stories are we'll be thinking about in the year to come. So, Tony, it was your brainchild to start this whole thing. Why do you want to start this newsletter and uh, have Steve and I taken it to that next level that you foresaw?
1: Yeah, I mean, you guys are definitely raising the roof, I think. Um, No, I mean, Eli, actually, I think this came out of a discussion that you and I had maybe a little over a year ago. We were just talking about hey, look, there's this big transit plan that's coming. It looks like they might vote on it uh, this November, November 2021, we need to shine a light on this. What can we do? And I said, look, you know, Charlotte Ledger, we put out newsletters. Why don't we just do a weekly newsletter on transit? And so we, you know, you and I started kicking that around. So I mentioned it to Steve, who had a background in, in covering, you know, transit, transportation, local government. It just seemed to make a lot of sense. You checked with your folks at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute, Steve talked to his folks at WFAE. They were all on board. We just started it up. It didn't take all that long. The technology now to get newsletters out is it's pretty simple and straightforward. And so, you know, we just started producing this weekly newsletter, Transit Time, just to look. You know, the genesis was this transit plan that we all thought was coming. Now it turns out it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, but you know, I think I've found that there are plenty of other things to write about besides the transit plan, you know, you get, obviously you have the light rail, you have the buses, you have, you know, say nothing of traffic commuting. Um, yeah, there's a lot to cover. It's an important issue. And I think we're sort of, um, given it, uh, given it its own space.
0: Yeah. And we thought at the beginning that, you know, we, uh, write about these issues and a lot of focus on the transit plan and the one cent sales tax, up through the general election this year, and maybe see where the region was going after that. But that plan's kind of in limbo. Our newsletter still exists. So we've had to find some other things to write about. But, uh, you know, I want to ask both of you if you were betting right now, do you think that this one cent transit sales tax will have a path forward onto our local ballots someday? Uh, because right now, you know, I don't really see the way forward for it in the legislature uh, and then onto the ballot here in Mecklenburg County. Not going to happen this year, but what about
2: the future? What do, you, what do you think? I would say that the path forward for the plan that is it as it is envisioned today with a one cent sales tax increase, I don't see that happening. I mean, I think that's probably too much money. Um, We did a half cent in 1998. I think that may be the way forward. Um, That'll be much easier for the Republican legislature in Raleigh to stomach. And, and, you know, let's just be honest, it doesn't look like uh, the GOP will lose control of, of the General Assembly in November. So everything will still go through them. So I think that there will be a transit plan on the ballot at some point, maybe in 2023. But I think it will be different and smaller.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I have to agree with that. I mean, it doesn't look like anything's moving forward, uh, certainly at the moment, um, it's sort of at an impasse. I mean, they keep sort of studying it, developing ideas, but then it's sort of, you know, I think there's just a disconnect between what the legislature is gonna allow and what, you know, what local leaders want. And that's, you know, they keep saying, well, we need to look at, we need to make this a regional approach. We need to get buy-in from Gaston, and Iredell and Union counties. And I don't, I don't know that I see those counties Buying in, Which you're going to need to get through the legislature. So it seems like a pretty tough lift. I think they're going to have to revamp something. But, you know, I'm, I don't really have a great crystal ball. Um, but it, it just seems like it's a real challenge. Yeah, it's,
0: it's really weird in some ways right now, because there's all this planning going on, like in the, you know, transportation planning committee meetings we see and CRTPO. And there's, you know, silver line design studies and transit oriented design Uh, land use planning and all the studies for how to build this stuff. Um, But at the same time, like the question of, okay, where's the money coming from? And are you going to get Gaston and union counties on board to pay for part of this? I don't really see any movement going on with those. So in some ways we kind of have all this planning going on, but the most important plan for the money Is where I see a real uh, disconnect right now.
2: Yeah, I think we're we're at least a generation away from the neighboring counties voting to increase their own sales tax for transit. Um, You know, eventually, uh, the region will grow so large, and Cabarrus County will probably be the first of our neighbors to go Democratic. I think it will happen at some point. Um, You know, and until that happens, uh, no, I, I don't see. I don't see a countywide sales tax in Gaston Union or Cabarrus. Uh, Absolutely not.
1: Can I ask you, Steve, how heavy of a lift do you think it is? I mean, we just got off this um, this primary election. It's always tempting to want to read tea leaves and what that means for the future. But I mean, if there were to be a vote uh, on a on the sales increase in the sales tax in Mecklenburg County for transit, would that is your thinking shifted on that at all?
2: Given the recent election results. Oh, in terms of like what the results would be. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to say because it, that's a really that's a really good question because it's so hard. It's it's so it's so kind of hypothetical. Like we've just said, that this doesn't seem to be something that's happening. It's hard to say what the opposition would be. Um, you know, Nashville went through this a couple of years ago. There was a lot of outside money that came in. The plan went down. Uh, by, a, you know, lost heavily. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just hard to say, uh, you know, I think if it was kind of a quiet election, and it was on the ballot in Mecklenburg County, I think it would probably pass. But, you know, the question is, what kind of opposition gets stirred up uh, leading up to this election? And um, yeah, so I, that's, I, yeah, good question, though.
0: Yeah, I think it also will depend on, you know, how the plan is framed because there's been this pretty consistent message of like, don't expect it to eliminate traffic. We're not going to see traffic go away. Um, This is about development and equity and transportation options. And I just wonder if that's a harder sell for people when you're saying, hey, vote for this transit plan you know, a lot of people are going to say, okay, great. Will this help with my commute? Will this help with traffic in the area? Um, It might be honest to come out and say like, well, not really, at least, um, you know, unless you happen to live right near it, Uh, stuff like the silver line. But politically, I do wonder if that's a harder sell. You know, if you're saying right up front, like don't expect this to get rid of traffic.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I mean, it just seems like, if I mean, it's always the implication that the traffic is going to improve, or it's not that not that the traffic's going to improve, but imagine how much worse it would be if we didn't have this kind of an argument. Um, it's always kind of hard to know.
2: Yeah. I think, too, another key thing is going to be, I mean, I write about this a lot, uh, is I do think at some point um, the city council will have to, and the supporters of the plan are going to have to think about and address what a post-pandemic workplace looks like. And what I mean is we are working from home. uh, A lot of people are two or three days a week, and there doesn't seem to be any sign that's going to change. And of course, the impact of people working from home two or three three days a week to transit is, is tremendous. I mean, Right now in Charlotte and in Mecklenburg County, CATS ridership is at about half of what it was before the pandemic. That's pretty consistent, a little lower than the national average, but still pretty consistent. Transit everywhere has been devastated because of the pandemic and work from home. So that's not to say it's transit's fault that they're not riders. their ridership numbers are so low, but I also, I'm not sure what's going to change to bring them back to 100%. And uh, I do think that the city and, and boosters of the plan are going to have to address this in a more detailed way. Because right now, really, the only statistic that the supporters of the plan say, the only numbers they bring out are 100 people are moving here every day, they have to have some way to get around. Uh, that, that's a good number. That's a lot of people We're fast growing. But they have not addressed these other dramatic decreases in people actually riding the bus and the train.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good point, especially since our current transit system is pretty uptown centric. And that's obviously an area where a lot of people, you know, the bank towers, uh, you know, can work from home. You know, one of the other arguments is always, well, you know, it's not just, you know, some people need this to get to work. Like if you're a nurse, at uh atrium or novant you know you don't have an option to work from home if you're you work in a retail store you don't have that option but you know it's it's such a focus on um you know everything runs through uptown you know the bus system is sort of basically a hub and spoke system for the most part i know you've written about that um you know it's it's gonna be interesting to see sort of what that effect is longer term
2: And Katz has, oh, I'm sorry, Eli, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say Katz has been dealing with that for a long time. Bus ridership has been falling since before the pandemic. The Envision My Ride program is meant to uh, get away from that hub and spoke model and have more crosstown routes, but there hasn't been a ton of success uh, with that. You know, in fact, bus ridership is, well, you can't say what would happen without the pandemic, but is coming back a lot slower than um the blue lines ridership and you know steve's written about these um bus lines like the pineville matthews route that has two riders per at, uh, per trip on average so i mean fixing the bus system i think is going to have to be a really big priority for them going forward but that's not you know as sexy as building a new light rail line so uh, that's another that's
2: another contradiction i think they're going to have to address and, and when, when, when you talk about problems with the bus line and low ridership, <clears throat> excuse me, Katz has said that <clears throat> that kind of, yes, we have a problem. Yes, we are not um, as efficient in doing as well as we should be. And they kind of, they take that in themselves. They say, well, we're not running a good system. Our buses are late, they're broken. And so they there's this idea that well there is this demand out there people want to ride but we're just not providing them a service therefore we need more um, you know we need the, the sales tax to allow us to have the tools to improve to tap into this market that's what they've kind of like gone with this idea in a way they've kind of blaming themselves but you know that may be partially true but no one you know at Cats or in the city council is kind of mulling over this broader question of are those riders that were lost during the pandemic, are they ever going to come back? And that's a, you know, if, that's a really hard question to have or to answer, because if, if the answer is no, then it kind of puts into question the whole point of the plan. So Katz has been perfectly willing to say, we aren't doing a good job. We are failing our customers. So that's why we need the tax. So we have the tools to make it better.
0: So you mentioned city council. Of course, we just had that election uh, primary this week and two stalwarts of the transit transportation um, universe in Charlotte, Julie Iselt, who we knew was retiring and Larkin Eggleston, who uh, fell short of reaching the next stage, um, being one of the four Democratic at-large candidates for city council. Uh, will be leading the council. So they are respectively the chair and vice chair of the Transit Transportation Committee. Um, Obviously, we don't know who will head those committees up next, but Larkin and Julie have both made transit a big focus, Uh, Julie especially with the bus system. How do you think that not having them around will change the dynamics?
1: Yeah, I mean, do you think... Just throwing out the question, I mean, how much effect do they have? I mean, Julie, Iseld has been very outspoken about we need, you know, we need to change the bus system. We need to improve the bus system. Yet you don't necessarily see a lot of changes. So I just wonder how much of what city council is advocating and saying and how much I guess it's a question of how much do, do people in that position matter versus you know, what is the direction of the that the entire council gives to cats? What is cats doing? What, you know, obviously a lot of it comes down to funding and, um, if, according to cats. And so, yeah, I mean, that's obviously sort of the big, big question, but I don't know how much of these people, how much of the folk, how much do they matter? Does it matter?
2: Julie Iselt has, um, in some of the the transportation committee meetings, which she chairs, she has asked some pointed questions about ridership and the decline in ridership and asking about that. But, you know, in in, in local government or any government, if, if you're only getting questions from one elected official, it's very easy for staff to just really ignore you. I mean, you just don't have to, you know, it, it takes like a kind of a groundswell. It takes like several council members, a majority of council members to make you answer questions you don't want to answer so um, with julie leaving i think some of those questions will go away but i'm not sure they were ever really being answered um braxton winston is also a member of the transportation committee um he supports the idea of the, the of the the penny sales tax the 13 and dollar plan as do almost all of council members one of braxton's kind of um unique issues that, that may get more attention is he would like to do free transit um, get rid of fares, and this is something that you've seen other transit agencies do around the country during the pandemic. Um, you know, one reason they had a lot of federal money that bailed them out, and so they were able to kind of give up on fares. And for a system like Charlotte, uh, that's a pretty, in in a national perspective, a pretty low use system. You could probably go fare free, and I think that you know, CATS historically has collected about 20% uh, cost recovery from the fare box. You could probably, if you really wanted to, you could get rid of fares. Maybe that's going to be something I think we'll be hearing more about.
0: Yeah. And they're already kind of dipping their toe in the water with the fare capping plan, uh, which would cap fares at, you know, the monthly amount for people who pay piecemeal. So you could see that moving forward. And yeah, I guess to uh, to Tony's question, another issue in the transit world is always there's so many fingers in the pie you know there's people um, at crtPO and the regional planning organizations and the state and federal etc 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 so yeah it's two city council members um, and in the the transit world I mean there's like this giant alphabet soup of agencies and people who get to weigh in on everything so yeah
2: you know and I want to say one other thing Eli during this this conversation we've had, I've made kind of some pointed comments about some of the problems with transit and low ridership. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that that a transportation plan, a $13.5 billion transportation plan is a bad idea, that it should be rejected. But I I think it, you know, it kind of raises some questions of, well, maybe the way the plan is currently designed is not the best you know, maybe we should be spending billions of dollars on sidewalks, bike lanes, greenways. Maybe that's, I mean, I'm just throwing this out. Maybe that should get the lion's share of the money. Um, Greenways have proven incredibly popular in this city. Um, They're, you know, bike lanes are are used by far fewer people, but they're still pretty inexpensive to build. Um, Same with sidewalks. So it's not, you know, I don't think the argument is, well, either we do $13.5 billion for transit or we just give all that money to roads. I think there is kind of a different option that I think is worth exploring, um, you know, in the upcoming year.
1: Yeah, I think, didn't you write a piece uh, on that a few months ago? See, look, I'm looking at a plan B for the transit plan said, basically take some smaller wins, things that don't necessarily require, you know, the legislature to sign off, Do, you know, you, there is some authority. There is a way to, make, to get some, um, uh, you know, additional money. There's some capacity, for example, that the county has, you know, on on a sales tax. Now I don't know that they're going to put it for transit or for greenways necessarily, but you know, but there might be some way to get some small wins rather than just sort of holding out, holding out, holding out as the, as everything gets worse and worse. It's like let's just let's just do what we can, maybe you know, um, in the interim.
0: Yeah, and you know, we haven't had a real. Um, citywide political discussion, engagement about that, you know, because the transit plan was not, is not going to be on the ballot in November. I mean, it didn't really come up at all in the city council primaries and uh, these races so far, you know, if that was going to be before voters in November, I imagine we'd have a lot more debate and a lot more uh, back and forth and, you know, people maybe staking out different positions, but it's, I, I feel like it's kind of been backburnered because everyone knows, you know, it's going to be at least another uh, at least another year.
2: Yeah, you can't. You know, Tony, you mentioned uh, that Mecklenburg County has the ability to levy a quarter cent sales tax without needing uh, Raleigh's approval. Now that's the county's money, so they're probably unlikely to pass that and then hand that money over to to a city agency. But you know, the right now the property base in this city is booming. The general fund piece of the Charlotte budget grew by nearly 5% this year. Um, There is so much construction going on. The money is pouring in. I think there'll be another property revaluation coming up, I think next year, right? And so, you know, when we had the last reval, I think in 2019, Julie Isolt said that she regretted instead of rolling, what they did was, you know, they rolled back the property tax rate to what we call revenue neutral um she kind of looked back and said well you know i wish we would not have done that fully we could have you know we could have kept some money to improve the bus system so i think with another property re- reval-, reval year coming up you can do that you can you can capture tens of millions of dollars for greenways sidewalks bus lanes um bus improvements if you want you know you can kind of like uh hitting single you know hitting singles consistently instead of now I should say that will not build the silver line. Absolutely not. The silver line will require a full sales tax, but you can also do a lot and move things forward uh, incrementally.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about the newsletter and pat ourselves on the back because I was talking to Tony yesterday and or maybe it was Monday. And Tony, you said, if we don't beat our own chests, who will? And I'm not sure I was thinking about that a little more. And I'm not sure we want other people beating our chests. But, you know, I that mean, it's con- painful. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to continue the metaphor, I guess, um, what what do you look back on and say, man, that was a fun story? What did you enjoy doing in the first year? And what are you looking ahead to do in the next year? um yeah go ahead
1: yeah i mean i like i like things that are you know interesting or informative or ideally both i I have a little bit of recency bias in in the sense that the one at the top of my now i did the piece i did last week on the chick-fil-a um that got a lot of reaction that really that really strikes a nerve with a lot of people i think well you there are a few Chick-fil-A's that have a, a big problem with the traffic backing up into the streets, but it really rubs a lot of people the wrong way. They took a deep dive kind of on that, a little bit tongue in cheek. There are obviously bigger issues, but it's, that's an annoying one. And it's just, the cool thing, as you all know, about being in journalism is if you're interested in something, first of all, odds are somebody else is also interested in that. And also you have license to just ask people and find out answers to whatever you want. So that's, so that was kind of fun, um, you know. I think we all kind of have those stories. But yeah, the other w- fun one that we did, and we do a lot of serious stuff. If you haven't read the newsletter, we- there's a lot of meaty analysis. So don't worry, it's all not all light. But you know, we had the um, we had the the runner racing the new Gold Line streetcar. That was a fun one. Um, you know, uh, spoiler alert: she uh, she beat it. You know, she ran the what is it? Whatever it was, four miles in I think 35 minutes, and the streetcar took. I don't know, 40 or something like that. I mean, so we're having some fun with it. And I know, Eli, you've got your own, um, you know, sort of pet um, pet issues that you like, like Thomas the Tank. Yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine. That
0: Sorry. was that was my favorite. And, uh, you know, I think we can learn a lot from that little blue guy on the island of Sodor and how Sir Topham Hat runs his railway. That was a lot of fun. And I also, uh, I liked the uh the stories we've done on the ncdot's 12 billion dollar shortfall a lot of people i think didn't realize that was that's coming down the pipe and we're going to be dealing with the effects of that for a long time in terms of um delayed paired back and reconfigured road projects uh here in charlotte and across the state so um that was i think a very good and
2: informative piece what about you steve well, one one thing I like about transit time is that uh, you know, if you're opening the newsletter, there's kind of already an assumption that you're interested in transit and transportation. So it lets us go um, deeper than we might, or I might be able to in a regular story for WFAE. Um, a big thing I've always wanted to know is why the proposed silver line does not go, directly to the airport terminal. Um, And you would hear a lot of different stories or reasons why they couldn't do it. And I've listened to this and I thought, you know, this doesn't really check out. So we did a story a year ago. We were really able to go really deep on these reasons um, why it can't get closer to the terminal. And a lot of the reasons that were put out there just didn't really make sense. Um, I think you could do it pretty easily. And, you know, what we, we kind of like kept asking and asking and asking. And what it comes down to is that the airport just does not want the train on its property. And its I don't think it's because they're worried about losing parking revenue. They are worried that when you bring a billion-dollar train into a fast-growing, ever-changing airport, that they can't move it. And this airport you know, is constantly expanding. They're building new terminals, runways, et cetera. And I think they just have this, this fear that, They're going to have this train in their way at some point in ten or twenty years, and they do not want that at all. So, final question: Looking ahead, what are each of you going to be
0: uh, interested in the most? Looking forward, uh, trying to do with year two in um, in transit time. And I guess we should say right off the bat: Of course, we'll be watching to see if the transit tax vote our uh, original reason actually actually happens
1: yeah i mean we'll keep on top of that i mean we'll try and stay ahead of that um yeah i don't know I'm, i mean just you might think oh well, how do you come up with ideas you, you know each week and it's really not i haven't found that to be a problem i think there's there's plenty of stuff to write about i mean eli you've written a lot on um you know technology uh looking looking forward to things i mean steve pulls a lot of data some really good data that wouldn't otherwise be out there looks into that i mean i'm always interested in the issue you know uh, traffic and commuting patterns i mean there there's all kinds of things to write about so i don't really think that's um you know that we're going to have any any struggles um there but yeah i mean i you know i've got this little short list going of things i'm interested in i think we'll we'll look into but um Yeah. I mean, I think we just sort of keep plugging along. We keep, you know, we keep doing things that are interesting, informative. Um, you know, I think it seems like a winning formula.
2: I think for me, I am fascinated now and will still be fascinated with work from home and what that looks like for the rest of 2022 and 2023 are managers able to kind of like coax their employees back for an extra day. Can they bring them back five days a week? Um, I think that's going to be really important to see. And then kind of the flip side of that is where people choose to live. Um, If you only have to commute into the office two or three days a week, then it's then a 45 minute drive from say union County or Gaston or Cabarrus is a lot more manageable. I think we're already seeing those ex-urban counties growing now faster than Mecklenburg County that has a lot of, uh, Implications for transit and transportation. So, I want to see are these trends going to continue?
0: Yeah. And I mean, just anecdotally, I already know several people I can think of off the top of my head who have made decisions like that and moved either to, you know, much farther out places or uh, even other counties than they would have before, precisely for that reason. And I think for me, you know, my son, as uh, we know, has been very into Thomas, but now he's really into. Uh, Paw Patrol. There's a lot of different transportation mm. options in Paw Patrol. There's, you know, flying hel- there's dogs flying helicopters, there's dogs driving boats, there's dogs driving trucks. So I'm going to be mm. seeing what lessons we can maybe extract from Paw Patrol and, uh, you know, Adventure Bay and, and all those, um, all those places. I'm not sure it has as much salience as Thomas the Tank Engine, but I'm still watching it and trying to figure it out. Always thinking, always thinking
1: ahead. You know that's
0: smart. Yeah, always, always looking for content.
1: It's great. Well, I mean, I just want to say I, I appreciate that you all, you know, working on this and and investing time in it. I'm I'm thankful to your organizations that you know we ha- we have a really good partnership with, and you know we if we put it out in the newsletter, you know that you all sometimes put it out at the, on the Urban Institute page. WFAE runs it, and we just share it, and it's just kind of a nice. I just think it's a great home for um, for this topic. That otherwise, it sort of would get maybe lost in the shuffle of a lot of other things. And this is just a dedicated place where we can have kind of smart, engaging, uh, you know, articles and conversations with readers and things like that.
0: Yeah. And where where should people sign up if they haven't already?
1: Well, you can get it from the, the Charlotte Ledger. Um, you know, or we actually have—you might not even know this, Eli—we have our own URL transit time clt.com uh or the you can you can find it or you can find like i said you can find most of the content on the urban institute site you can also find it on WFAE. so uh, we're trying to get it out there in a lot of a lot of places but if you want the newsletter yeah um <laughs> yes gotta plug that
0: right. all right tony steve thanks for taking the time and uh we'll talk soon thanks 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 for joining us on the Future Charlotte Podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate it, share it with your friends, and keep looking to the future, Charlotte.